Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. Whether you're out for a walk right now, you're doing the washing up, uh, or you're just taking a quick five minutes in your day, uh, it's great to have you with us. Dave Kemp, our kids and youth pastor, he's continuing our summer series, Summer in the Psalms, The Heart's Cry. Uh, So really excited for him to talk on that. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk lots more about small groups as well as they relaunch. And so keeping an eye out for them, we'd love for you to get connected. If you've not been connected before, or if you are really connected, then just great that your group will be getting back up and running as well. So we would love for you to keep an ear out over the next couple of weeks as we talk more about that and they relaunch in September. But other than that, enjoy today's message. Hello, my name's Dave. I'm part of the team here at Vineyard Church Cardiff and it's great to have you uh, wherever and whenever you are joining us. Now, We've been spending the summer in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament in a series that we have called The Heart's Cry. And in the Psalms, we find raw human emotion channeled into into some of the most beautiful poetry ever written. And through them, King David and the other authors give voice to the emotions of humanity. And over the centuries, people have used these poems and songs as roadmaps, as guides, as we all cry out to God. And over the weeks, we've looked at the heart's cry to praise and to worship, to lament and for remembrance. And today I want to look at the heart's cry for forgiveness. Forgiveness is a core doctrine. It is an absolutely central belief of the Christian faith. And it is at the heart of our relationship with God. It is also something that we should be known for. Followers of Jesus should be the most forgiving people that you know. Forgiveness flows out of us because forgiveness flows into us. And it is so important to talk about how we can forgive others, the reality, the practicalities of that. But today I want to look upstream to the source of that forgiveness, the forgiveness that flows into us, the forgiveness from God that we cry out for and that he so lovingly and at such great cost gives us. And I want to do this out of Psalm 51. Now, this is a psalm written by King David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He'd had her husband, who's a man loyal to him, killed in battle, and he had taken her as his wife. And then the prophet Nathan confronts David with what he has done. And this is his response. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. 
You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, Lord, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. In burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. So how can we take David's lived experience and use it as a, as a blueprint, as a guide in the process of us crying out to God for forgiveness? I think the first thing that we, that we learn is this. We need forgiveness because of our sin. He says in verse one, have mercy on me, O God. Why down to verse three? For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Now, Understanding sin is foundational to understanding forgiveness, but it is also probably one of the most controversial concepts that you could talk about in our culture today. And if you want to learn about it in great depth, I'd really recommend Church of the City New York uh, did a six week sermon series on sin in February, um, and it is amazing. If that sounds a bit too much for you, uh, the first in the series is an overview of the topic um, and is amazing as a standalone as well. But essentially, it's the idea that we are created good, but we are broken, that all of us have thoughts and say words and do actions that are objectively wrong. And that idea is fiercely debated, but it is also a core belief of Christianity. As the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to Romans, we have all sinned. But because of the strength of the cultural pull away from this core belief, we as followers of Jesus in this cultural setting can easily find ourselves not thinking about sin as much as we should. And it's worth saying we can definitely think about sin too much. The history of the church over the centuries uh, is full of people who have done that and the damage they have caused. But it is something we have to balance, not neglect entirely. Because if we're unwilling to think about sin, we are unlikely to think about forgiveness. And if we don't think about forgiveness, we miss one of the most beautiful truths of our faith. And this is something that I have become aware of during lockdown. Now, obviously, lockdown has been incredibly hard. But one of the good things for me is that my faith has grown more over the last 18 months than at any other stage in my life, really. And one of the things that has come with it is an awareness of the reality of my sin. And this is what happens to King David. You know, if you'd stopped him and asked if what he was doing was wrong, he probably would have said yes. He was a godly man. He knew God's heart, but he was caught up in it, which is what sin does. The writer of Hebrews describes sin as something which so easily entangles us. And isn't that the case? It's very rarely the sin that, that stands in front of us shouting for attention that is the one that causes us to sin. It's the one that entangles us slowly, that draws us in. And what the prophet Nathan does is he goes to David and he confronts him and he brings his sin into the light and starts to untangle it for him. And it breaks David's heart and he falls to his knees before God. His heart cries out for forgiveness because of the, his awareness of his sin. Many of you will be entangled in sin now. Perhaps you're aware of it but not aware enough to do anything about it. God wants to bring it into the light and start to untangle it with you. 
He wants you to become fully aware of it because until you are, it is very hard to truly cry out for forgiveness and then receive the freedom that comes with it. And believe me, God wants to set you free. Now, I'm not saying any of this in any way to be judgmental. It is the position I found myself in recently. And you may be thinking, wow, Dave, this is an amazing point. I like it's something I need to go away with after the talk and process privately with the Lord. I was not that lucky. Um, one of the most profound moments of becoming aware of my sin uh, happened a couple of months ago, and it happened right in the middle of small group. Um, we were having an amazing discussion about healing, which is a topic I find really hard. Um, not theologically. I absolutely believe that God miraculously heals people today. Uh, but personally, because he never seems to do it when I'm around. Um, and although I can joke about it, it is, it is probably one of the greatest sources of pain in my faith and something I have spent a long time struggling with. And it was off the back of an amazing preach by Mark and Anna Crosby, who lead our West site. Um, to be honest, I wasn't looking forward uh, to small group because I find it all so hard to talk about. But off the back of that talk, which is one of the best I have heard on the subject, and through some incredible discussion in our group, the Lord drew out a sin in me I wasn't even aware of, really, into the light and began to untangle it with me. And it was the sin of not trusting him and even judging him for moments when I perceived he had failed. To best capture it, I want to read what I wrote in my journal just afterwards. Um, in it, I mentioned the not yet, uh, which is a theology we hold called the now and the not yet, um, which essentially means that although we see God's kingdom come in part now, uh, it is not yet in its fullness. Um, so breakthrough of the kingdom now, hope for the fullness of the kingdom to come, but not yet. So that's what that refers to. And this is what I wrote. I had one of the most profound faith moments I've ever had tonight. In small group, we were talking about healing and all the normal pain I have around that came up. But one of the group was talking about the beauty of the not yet from their personal experience of praying for and not seeing healing and how our greatest hope is in the total healing we will receive in glory. And it was like scales falling from my eyes. I had to leave. I came upstairs and just fell on my knees crying and repenting for not trusting the Lord with my unanswered questions, my cynicism and my pain. I prayed repeatedly, God, forgive me for not trusting you. Forgive me for not trusting you. I wasn't offered answers. God just asked me if I trust him and I haven't, but now I will. Like David, the awareness of my sin led me to that moment of repentance, led me to cry out for forgiveness. In 1 John 1, it says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need forgiveness because of our sin and we need to be aware of our sin in order to cry out for forgiveness. And secondly, I think we learn from King David's psalm that forgiveness is available to us because of God's love. As much as David had an awareness of his sin, he also had an awareness of God's goodness, God's good nature. Straight away in his opening line, he says, have mercy on me, O God. Lord, I need this according to your unfailing love. Forgiveness was won for us by Jesus on the cross. And that sacrifice was the greatest expression of love in history. But I think sometimes the enormity of the cost paid 
coupled with the willing way that it is freely given, sometimes stops us from reaching out for it fully. Sometimes I think our hearts cry out for partial forgiveness or what I call forgiveness to a point of tolerance. How many of us theoretically know that God loves us, but we live as if he tolerates us? We know what that looks like sometimes because it is the forgiveness we are prepared to offer others. I'll forgive you, but we're still not okay. I'm not happy with you. But that's because we love imperfectly. God loves us perfectly, and so he wants to forgive us fully. And this partial forgiveness is, we, is what we see the prodigal son look for. The prodigal son is a story many of you will be familiar with. Essentially, a son uh, it's a story Jesus tells. A son turns to his father and says, I wish you were dead. I wish I had my inheritance. Give it to me now. His father gives him his inheritance, and he goes uh, to a far land, and the Bible tells us he spends it on wild living until he has nothing left and he has to get a job feeding pigs. And while he's feeding the pigs, while he's in this pit of despair, he has this realisation, if I was a servant for my father, I would live better than I'm living now. And so he, he gets up and he goes back to his father and he prepares this speech of, of repentance, expecting and asking, begging to be made a servant. He was hoping to be restored as a servant, to be tolerated if he can be useful. How many of us go to God begging him to forgive us to a point of, toler of tolerance? Tolerate me if I can prove myself useful. Never does the son expect total forgiveness. Forgiveness to the point of love, restoration to the status of a son. But that is what he finds and it's what we find. We mustn't limit our heart's cry to this kind of partial forgiveness. There's nothing noble about it. Sometimes we think by asking for partial forgiveness, we retain part of the punishment which is fitting for us. But that is not biblical. It is not godly. It is not what our Father wants for us. It's a waste of Jesus. It's a waste of the cross to not take the forgiveness that is on offer to us. It's like me making my son an amazing present for Christmas as an expression of my love. You know, intricately carved, carefully painted, moving part, all this and him turning around and saying, I'm only going to play with a small part of this because I don't think I deserve your love. But that's my decision. It's my decision how much to love him. It's God's decision how much he loves you. And he has decided to love you perfectly, totally and fully. And we should allow that. Allow your hearts to cry out to your heavenly father for total forgiveness because it is on offer. He longs to give it to you because he loves you. We need forgiveness because of our sin and it is available to us because of God's love. So now I want to talk about what happens when we receive it. And I think the psalm teaches us three things. Firstly, this we are set free. Forgiveness is a is a moment. It is a powerful act that leads us into freedom. If we go down to verse 10 to 12 in Psalm 51, David says this, create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Things put back to how they were meant to be. What a picture of freedom. In the book of Acts in the New Testament, we read this in Acts 13 verses 38 to 39. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know. That through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. 
Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. We were created for freedom. In Genesis, we see that God's plan for us was to be free from the weight and the mess and the pain that sin brings with it. Free to live life fully aware of God's love for us and free to fully love him back. Sin is the thing that robs us of that freedom. And it is only repentance and forgiveness that can restore things to how they were meant to be. And I found this with my lack of trust in God around healing. Up until that small group, it was a genuine block in my faith, part of my life and my thinking that was guarded from God because I didn't trust him. That evening, I was set free from it. And since then, I have prayed for three people for healing. Now, regardless of the outcome of that, that is about three more than I had done in the previous year or so. I just, I didn't want to do it. And if I was in a position where I had to, because you can't really say no when someone asks, I had no expectation that God was going to heal. I didn't want to do it. I had no faith and I just wanted to get away from there. I want to get it over and done with because I couldn't face the pain it was going to dredge up. But since then, as I said, I have prayed for three people. Two of them have been healed and one hasn't. The two that have doubles the number of people who have been healed when I've prayed for them in my entire life which gives you an idea of the restorative freedom that comes when we receive God's forgiveness. The one that wasn't was really hard. It would have been an amazing moment. I think it would have been pivotal in their faith. And I don't understand why God didn't heal them. But I can now trust him with that unanswered question. And the weight that that lifts and the freedom that that brings is amazing. I'm free from the pain and the anger that I was feeling at God at my unanswered prayers, which means in turn I am free to pray for more people without being afraid of the burden and the pain that it might bring. And this is such an important point. When God forgives us and sets us free, we mustn't go back. As Paul writes to the Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Sin is slavery. It is a heavy burden our hearts carry, which is why our hearts cry out for forgiveness. When we allow ourselves to be fully forgiven because of God's love for us, don't go back. We mustn't go back. As Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery in John 8, when he asks her if there's anyone left to accuse her, she says, no one, sir then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. In other translations, it says sin no more. Don't go back. Don't go back to slavery when freedom has been given to you. So when we receive forgiveness, it sets us free. What else do we learn from Psalm 51? We mustn't keep it to ourselves. Verse 13 says, then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. The freedom that comes into your life when you receive forgiveness will be one of the greatest testimonies that you can give people. Nothing proclaims the power of Jesus more than a life irrevocably changed. As Jesus sends his disciples out in Matthew 10, he says to them, freely you have received, freely give. 
People need to be set free from sin. And while many people don't like the message that we have all sinned, there are also many who are well aware of their sin, but they don't know what to do about it. They don't know how to escape. They don't know how to be set free. They don't know about Jesus and we have the answer. I once heard someone speak about the difference between guilt and shame in response to our sin. Guilt is the right response as it is an awareness of what we have done wrong. Shame is when the enemy twists that guilt into something unnatural, a burden that weighs you down and slowly kills you. It is good for us to feel guilt in response to our sin and to take that to God, crying out for forgiveness. But there are many people out there who are crushed beneath the weight of shame that God never intended them to feel and that he longs to set them free from. And we have the message that will set them free. We mustn't keep it to ourselves. We must tell others of the freedom that is available in Jesus. And finally, it leads us to worship. Verse 15, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. After my experience at small group that evening, I felt a deep gratitude to God for what he does. That the creator of all things wants to forgive us because he loves us is an incredible statement of faith that I think sometimes gets lost in its familiarity. I recently read a book called Dear and Glorious Physician, uh, which is a novel uh, about Luke, who's the guy who wrote Luke's gospel, and his life before uh, he found out about Jesus, before he started writing his gospel, and the rumours he started to hear as he travelled in his role as a doctor about this guy. And one of the things that the author draws out was the uh, incredulity, 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 they couldn't believe it, um, of the Romans and the Greeks who he met at this idea of a God who loves people and forgives them. The Greco-Roman culture, their entire belief system was built around gods who couldn't care less about mortals and took great delight in punishing them for the smallest error. We mustn't lose sight of the awesomeness of our loving God. And in moments when we have a heightened awareness of it, like at moments of repentance and forgiveness, the only right response is worship. We have all sinned. Some people think that this is the message of Christianity, but they couldn't be more wrong. It is just a statement about humanity. The message of Christianity is this. We need forgiveness because of our sin and that forgiveness is available to us because of God's love and when we receive it we're set free we mustn't keep it to ourselves and we worship we worship the God of freedom the God of love and the God of forgiveness